<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. This is Big Sean. We're Fifth Harmony. What's happening? This is Adam Levine from Maroon 5. I'm Calvin Harris. Yours truly, Jason Derulo. Hi, we're One Direction, and this is Gary Hoffman. This is Selena Gomez. This is Shannon Farron. This is Rihanna. Gary. What's up, guys? This is Justin Bieber. Shannon. And you are behind the scenes. Gary and Shannon. enough of this story i can't get enough of the news that broke this morning about that couple from new jersey who started the gofundme page for the homeless guy that lent his last 20 dollars to the young woman because her car ran out of gas raised more than 400 grand they were all in on it i love it i absolutely love it because i went back and i found some of the sound from i think it was the beginning of september when they interviewed the guy because the detective started sniffing around because he was complaining he wasn't getting the money. And their assertion was something along the lines of, why would we give this guy money? All he's going to do is just use it on drugs. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, that wasn't our arrangement. That was you, you exactly that's the, give thing. Us- <laughs> that's the thing. That's well, that's where they went wrong. They got greedy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all three of them, the woman, the boyfriend, and the homeless vet, or have all been arrested. We'll talk uh, about it coming up at the bottom of the hour. We are going to start with our fire stuff. Just got to word the the governor, not the president. The governor is going to hold a news conference, we expect, sometime in the next 10, 15 minutes, perhaps. We know that yesterday they were talking with um, uh, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke was up in the Sacramento area after they had toured the campfire burn area in Paradise, and they made some comments they're now down in Southern California to tour the Woolsey fire. Uh, the updates from both of the fires, in all honesty, are, if you take them in as a whole, are pretty good. The Woolsey fire size has been up to, updated to 98,362 acres, which means it did not expand very much yesterday. Containment is now up to 57%, so that is still great. They're talking about, however... 57,000 structures that are still threatened. The The best news, perhaps, is news that I heard from uh, from Alex Stone earlier today. The wind in Malibu is non-existent right now, which is fantastic considering that was the biggest problem with this fire from Thursday all the way through yesterday. The winds off and on were very, very strong, and it appears that the, all of our wet fire weather warnings have expired and that the conditions are great to get an upper hand on this. Thing. Big news coming out of Northern California and the campfire there that wiped out paradise is that that list of 104 missing people we told you about yesterday has expanded to 297. 
297. Uh, there's they had said at a news conference yesterday uh, that there were 104 people on that list, and then last night they held a news conference and the chair the sheriff up there said 29 names would be added for a total of 130. But when the updated list was published. Late last night, it had 297 names on it. Sheriff's office says we don't have anyone to talk about why so many more people were were uh, were added to this list within that three hours or so. Eight more sets of human remains were found yesterday. So the death toll is now up to 56. Um, that is a that is a mind blowing number. That 56 people would have been killed by this. Well, there was no time. They they didn't have time to get out. Many people found in their cars. They were trying to leave uh, next to their cars. Entire families wiped out. You know, one of the other things that, that, that has come up in these community meetings that have been taking place in Northern California is the question about whether or not there were reverse 911 calls or there were clear evacuation orders. And I think this is an opportunity. I, I know I have done this in the last couple of days because I live in an area that's potentially – Uh, prone to fire. It has burned twice in the 15 years that I've lived in Southern California. The area around my neighborhood has burned. So I know, my wife knows, my family knows, there is a chance that we have to pick up and leave immediately. We know the exit routes. We know how to get out of our neighborhood, et cetera, and how to find a safe place and who to talk to and that sort of thing. If you live in paradise, I mean, if you live there, if you th- this is you live amongst the pine trees. You live in an area that would clearly be a fire danger. So this I this suggestion of uh, you know well, we didn't get notified. Consider yourself notified right now that there is a potential that you are going to have to leave very very quickly. That being said, it was very early in the morning. There was when this no fire way that these that, people could have saved their own lives. There is just no way. It wasn't a matter of them saying, oh, "I'll give it ten, fifteen minutes." The, these people were trapped in their in their cars, leaving town. There was only one way to get out. A lot of the people we're going to find out, I bet, uh, were not mobile. You know, whether it was because they were elderly or or had uh, health issues. I, I, and what would a reverse nine one one call have done for those people? That's the thing. It's not nothing. That's just a message that says, hey, things are getting bad. You need to leave. It's not even a uh, if you need help, you know, just push one. I mean, they would tell people to call 911 if they needed help getting out. Just looking at this list, you know, they've got first and last names and some ages in some cases. But there are so many um, repeat last names, uh, a couple, a family, uh, three, four, five members of the same family missing. Most most of uh, the last names are coupled. This is uh, the, the the I think the heartbreaking part of this is that this firefight itself is not over either. I mean, at one hundred and forty thousand acres, it's only forty percent contained. It's incredibly rough terrain. I mean, we talk about the rough terrain in the Santa Monica Mountain Range that burned in the Woolsey Fire. This is uh, beyond that because not only is it rough terrain, very rocky, very steep in some areas, the fuels themselves are much higher. I mean, we're talking massive, massive groves of pine trees, the, a lot of them dead having uh, dead and dying, which just make they burn so much quicker, so much hotter than do normal trees. Also, let's work this into the mix. The shelters that the people have been evacuated to in Chico— have been hit with norovirus. Oh boy. 
People have tested positive at one shelter and possibly a second shelter. We'll tell you all about that when we come back. But first, we've got your chance at $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's BILLS to 200-200. Got to answer that phone when it rings. Yep, got to make sure that you answer before the top of the hour. If you don't win this hour, you can win next hour. In fact, once an hour all the way through 620 tonight, the first hour of the Conway Show. We're standing by also for the governor's news conference about the fire here in Southern California. When we hear that, we'll take that live. Gary and Shannon, we are standing by waiting for a press conference from the governor on the fire in Southern California here, the Woolsey Fire, that appears to uh, be holding in in some ways at 98,000 acres, 57% contains. The winds have died down, aiding firefighters with that battle. Talking about the campfire and norovirus hitting a, a shelter there in Butte County for evacuees. This is not good. They've been talking about full uh, full shelters in some areas. Um, Orland, Oroville. I mean, Orland is is 45 miles away from or- uh, from Paradise, probably. Uh, and it's already full. The one in Oroville is much closer. One of the one of the evacuation centers in Chico at Neighborhood Church is full. There are a few other places that are open. And like we talked about yesterday, some of these have become temporary shelters. A parking lot and, a, and an empty lot next to a Walmart has become a tent city. Yeah, 15 to 20 people staying at that neighborhood church of Chico have become ill. Lab tests have confirmed that it is norovirus. And then fire evacuees at the Oroville Church of the Nazarene Shelter are, are uh, showing symptoms of it as well, but they don't have confirmation Via lab tests, about 166 people are staying there, about 170 at the at the church in Chico. And we don't need to tell you, that thing spreads like crazy. One of the evacuees from Megalia, Rich Montgomery, spoke to the Sacramento Bee, says, they want us to keep washing our hands and not shake hands and use Purell before dinner. <laughs> he said he saw a resident of the shelter puking into the oh, toilet. Oh, gosh. Don Martin of Paradise... Different, Wait. different guy. Are you sure? Yep, I saw Don Martin here today, so it's. Oh, not, so he's not the one in the he's shelter. He's not that one. No, Got it. says he'd heard talk of a health issue too, but he wasn't afraid. If the problem was rampant, he says you'd see sick people everywhere. Yeah, well, that hold might on a be second. around the bend. <laughs> I was going to say, uh-huh. norovirus has a way of making uh, a lot of people sick in a relatively short amount of time. It's very contagious. It can cause the. Uh, it can cause those. What was that? What is that? That's the sound that it makes when it comes out. Is Ew. it? Yes. Interesting. No. It will cause a liquidation sale. How's that? Ew. Yeah. Blowing the doors off. She says, off. ew, but she's clapping. Front door. Because that mixed was messages. amazing. Mixed messages. I've, Front door, back heard... door. Everything's got to go. <laughs> that kind of a uh, of a liquidation sale. Uh, Gary, fever. that's my favorite thing you've ever said. Ever? Aww. Yes. Is, 
ever. His, his metaphor for diarrhea wow. it really warms your heart. Huh? Yeah, that was hilarious. Warm your seat, too. Oh, man. <laughs> careful. Stop while you're ahead. Right, oh, hold on. I have an audience member. She's She really likes it. <laughs> okay, then by all means, continue with the poop talk. Hey, she's taking her glasses off now. What's going on? I'm like crying. See? There's something Moral about... Virus makes people cry. There really is something about poop jokes oh, that uh, that makes people lose it. It's because it's common. Everybody does it. No. Don't, don't shake your head and no. say no. Everybody does it. I read that in a book one time. Now, the best way, they say, to stop the spread of norovirus is, like, uh, like Rich said, hand-washing, food safety... And, of course, isolating those people who are sick. The problem is you're dealing with, um, you know, areas that are not, first of all, they're not necessarily designed to hold people overnight. And then when you have sick people, you're talking about quarantining them to separate areas, to oh, boy. separate rooms. A church is not designed to be a, a hospital. Oh, boy. They do say that if you do have the norovirus and the duck quacks, then you get to go to a different bathroom. Okay, not everybody has the duck quacks, whatever sounds you made. I'm just, if you, mm-hmm. come on, if you've ever been in that position, you know that <laughs> things happen and you can't control it, it's just nature. Why do you have to pretend that, like, you're not a human being? Did you hear about Michael Avenatti? I did, I did hear about Michael Avenatti. Oh, he is a- vehemently denying uh, via Twitter, where you go to vehemently deny anything. Well, listen, whoever thinks that this guy is a hero for anyone is a broken person. If you're counting on this guy to be your hero, I'm not, I'm not even talking necessarily about him running for president in a couple of years. Who's championing him? Uh, the, the, here's the thing. People put him up in places to hear him speak. Like he's been invited to be a member of panels where he talks about standing up for the little guy and the uh, this is no be careful who you're hitching your trailer to because this, this guy's like the norovirus of political figures i just don't know how much he plays a role in that i mean a new day a new panel somewhere there's panels everywhere of speakers you know what i mean hell we've been on panels for the love of god I don't know how much he is. Uh, I don't know how much he's inserting himself into these appearances. Is he paying to get Facetime? Oh, you know that I might be part saying. of it. So I, I don't know anybody who's championing championing him. He is good at self promotion. Yes. Uh, Hell, maybe he came up with this domestic violence thing. Uh, I don't know. I Stormy think- Daniels has said that uh, that she is going to dump him if this is true. Why would she wait for this thing to be true? I, listen, well, he I says it's absolutely false. And his ex-wives have come out on Twitter to talk about how he's a good man. Mm-hmm. He did say, well, we'll talk about it when we come back, because this statement, I think, is is uh, is telling. He also referred to his daughters. Like, I have two beautiful daughters. And That's so irrelevant. Well, so irrelevant. Do you invite them? Uh, to, do you, did you introduce them to Stormy Daniels? Like, here's the woman I'm hitching my trailer to. I can't wait for you guys to meet her. All right. We are standing by for this press conference. Also, an update on the uh, homeless scam that netted like 400 grand on GoFundMe. Love it. And every single one of them was dirty. The world is full of norovirus people. See? This is going to be our common theme. Is it going to be a norovirus Thursday? That's not really kind to the people that have it and have been evacuated. No one, well, 
mm, you're probably right. Yeah. When in doubt, take it out. That's what I always say. <laughs> Do you always say that? It's a news writing tip. Uh, that and shorter dummy. <laughs> All right. Monica. Yeah. If you, oh, by the way, if you need us on a panel for news writing. <laughs> we're available. Yeah, we're clearly good at what we do. All right. <laughs> sorry. Car fire that's being cleaned okay, up in Glendora. Sorry, Monica. We're going to go like... into the press conference now. This is with uh, the governor and the uh, officials about Woolsey Fire. As of this morning, we have just short of 11,000 structures destroyed uh, in, the, in the fire siege, including the Camp Fire in Northern California uh, and the Woolsey and Hill Fire here. Uh, in Southern California. Firefighters from across the United States um, are have poured in to support the efforts here in California. The Woolsey fire here, great progress. Uh, containment numbers are coming up. Uh, we continue to engage. Uh, we will look at our resource needs throughout the state over the course of the next several days and certainly uh, utilize all of the resources and move resources around where they need to be to put all of these fires to bed. Uh, Fire season continues, though. We continue to have new fires start. Uh, early this morning, uh, the Briggs fire started just uh, east of here near Santa Paula. That fire this morning is about 50 acres. Uh, firefighters are making good progress. So we continue to engage in the firefight. We continue to keep our eye on the ball. Uh, and, uh, again, thank you to all of the folks that have engaged in this firefight and everybody supporting the effort across California. Thank you. Thanks, Chief. Um, next up, uh, we're happy to uh, have our Secretary of uh, the U.S. Department of the Interior here with us, Secretary Zenke, asking to come up and give a few words. Secretary. This is my fourth time to California, all of which have been fires. And every time I come back, I say this is the worst fire I've seen. Uh, yesterday is the worst fire I've seen. This comes from a kid who grew up in Montana, right next to Glacier Park. Uh, Paradise unfortunately likely will not be the same city uh, just the amount of devastation and all fires are bad this fire is also unprecedented in a lot of ways uh, the governor and I we did tours we'll do tours today um, my role is to make sure the federal resources are here well coordinated and up front I just want to say thank you to the, our law enforcement officials our first responders and you forget uh, if you look at the Paradise Fire very difficult to go in and out and our local firefighters sometimes we forget that their fires are the fire affects their homes their families are at risk and yet they're in the front line uh, in the case of paradise it's almost like an iraqi war where they were defending a parking lot they had civilians inside commercial buildings they were surrounding the commercial buildings with people in it defending space uh, to save lives similar here Phenomenal, fantastic job of evacuating this many people uh, without incident. So bravo Zulu to our sheriff's department, our responders, to make sure that it was done safely. Uh, going forward, the governor and I agree, and there's no silver bullet to these fires. The seasons have gotten longer. The temperatures are, are hotter. We're in the midst of a historic drought. The tree density has become greater. The amount of underbrush is great. The fuel load. But the solution is working together. And uh, the commitment of when you're talking about the parks here and our public lands, it's a mishmash of federal land and state land and private land and communities and counties. 
And we all have to work together as a team to make sure that we prevent this from happening again. It's unsustainable to have this happen year after year or have a season like this where you have 100,000 acre fires becoming routine. Uh, we're a great nation. Uh, this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. This is an American issue, and we should address it as such. But it's going to take working together from the community all the way up to the federal government and making sure that we do active forest management, we prioritize infrastructure, public safety, roads, evacuation, and work together as a team. And the governor and I yesterday committed that we will work together as a team. This is not the time for finger-pointing. This is the time to make sure that we address putting out the fire. We look at uh, Paradise to make sure we look at who's unaccountable, uh, make sure we give aid where it's necessary, and begin the recovery process. In some cases, this is going to be long. So with that, I'd like to introduce the great governor from the great state of California. Uh, despite the rumors, we get along. We talk a lot. We talk, we talk a lot before this incident. We talk on water. We talk on fires. We talk on forest management. Uh, we even talk about his dog, Calypso. So with that, the governor of California. And we even talked to President Trump yesterday, both of us. So we are truly working together uh, to serve our people. Uh, this is a tragedy, again, uh, not just here, but up in Northern California. Uh, the new, not the new normal, the new abnormal. Uh, fires, uh, dryness, uh, the lack of moisture, uh, the heat, the winds, almost at hurricane speeds. So we have our work cut out for us. It's so beautiful here. But having so many people uh, living in this space, uh, we are going to have to uh, make a lot of changes. But first of all, uh, thank you to all the first responders, firefighters, lifeguards, uh, police personnel, sheriffs. Everybody's been doing a great job. And yes, I would say also the California inmates that are working with you. So it's really people pulling together. And that's the first part, the emergency response. Next, we, we got to recover. And that recovery will happen. The state will help. The federal government is helping. Uh, President Trump told me on the telephone yesterday that uh, he's uh, completely behind California in getting this recovery underway. And I think the same can be said uh, for the state government and then, of course, your local governments. Going forward, uh, we are going to have to take a lot of steps that aren't so easy. Uh, we're going to have to manage our forests better. We're going to have to build our cities more smartly. Uh, we're going to have to build shelters so that people can uh, escape when these terrible fires get out of hand. And, yes, we're going to have to deal with climate change, all of that, many elements. Uh, we've got to get on the side of nature. We can't just fight it. And we do that in many ways. And it will be expensive. We're not talking uh, hundreds of millions. We're talking tens of billions for the whole state of California. But it can be done with science, uh, with research with collaboration and with a lot of goodwill, we all pull together in solidarity, uh, keeping California green, keeping it uh, a wonderful place uh, that we all love. So thank you very much. Questions? Okay, we can take some questions now for any of the leaders. Yes. 
it'll happen as soon as possible. I have to say, cleaning up these toxic sites, uh, not so easy. We got a lot of them, and one of those sites uh, was around when I was governor the first time. So, yeah, we know it's not that easy, but this fire should wake everyone up. We'll do it all, all that I can between now and January 6th, and after that we'll pass the baton to Mr. Newsom, and I'm sure you ought to direct your question because he will follow up. If he doesn't, I'll talk to him. Do I believe I, I? I'm very skeptical about all assurances. Let me uh, let me address. Uh, in the Paradise Fire, uh, the the fire went through older mining claims, uh, so it is a concern on watershed. Uh, some of those mining claims have been stripped of vegetation. That means the sulfites are going to be exposed. Uh, hazardous material not only from the mining claims but the town itself. We have not evaluated uh, this fire, but it's, it's likely the watershed is going to have to be monitored very closely. And this is working with all parties to make sure as the hazardous material from businesses, from other sites, from previous act activity, uh, we, uh, we mitigate the watersheds. And starting from the ocean all the way back, uh, as the rains come, we have to be very, very careful and, and mitigate where we can to make sure that hazardous waste doesn't go into our watersheds. Well, we have an insurance commissioner, uh, and we have the attorney general, who is the guardian of the public trust and also enforces laws against uh, consumer, uh, you know, mis misrepresentation or nonconformity to the state law. So, look, we'll do all that we can. Homeowners ought to contact their insurance, of course. Uh, FEMA can help. Our Office of Emergency Services can help. But if there's real violation, then we go to the attorney general. What? Uh, have you ever heard of the term the coincidence of opposites? Check it out. Yeah. Look, uh, President Trump told me that they're going to do everything possible to help California in this time of need. So, look. There's a lot of, lot of statements, a lot of loose rhetoric, but I think we're on the right path right now, and we're going to all work together. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, it's a double tragedy, and a lot of people um, suffer the loss of loved ones. And it leaves a scar that is not easily healed. But it, in time, it will. And at this point, it's so very important that we pull together as a local community and as a state of California. Uh, things happen. Uh, tragedies occur. That's part of what being human is. But it's also being human uh, to bind up our wounds uh, and to do everything we can in solidarity. Well, it's not a question of can we afford it. There are fires, and there are going to be more fires. 
Uh, the temperature is changing, the moisture is reducing, uh, the winds are increasing, there will be more, and they're going to get more expensive. Luckily, we are a rich state, but we've got to take uh, intelligent precautions in how we design our cities. The zoning and the planning has to take into account uh, the threat of fires, uh, the building of appropriate shelters so people can always find a way to ex escape, and then, of course, all the things we're doing uh, to mitigate climate change. All of it. It's a big agenda. Uh, what you're paying this week is just a, a, a very small fraction of the investment needed over the next years and decades. Uh, All right. You know, on, on the cost. Uh, is Interior, I got a bill for $870 million this year, and that did not include firefighting. That included repair of infrastructure from Whiskey Town, et cetera. That's $870 million. The cost for fighting fires is going to be in the billions, and yet our parks that we all love and appreciate are being loved to death. I would have rather spent that money, quite frankly, on trail systems, on fuel reduction, on so many other things. And you're right, it's unsustainable and unacceptable that we have loss of life every year, that our firefighters are out there in the front lines risking their lives, uh, and we have local communities being ravaged. There's things we can do and we should do. Uh, we should look at the tree mortality. We should remove the dead and dying trees. We should prioritize uh, around communities to make sure the fuel loads are, are, are reduced. Uh, there's no silver bullet, but in this problem didn't happen overnight. You can do prescribed burns late in the season. If you look at Yosemite National Park, uh, we're collecting dead and dying trees. We're stacking them, returning the health of the forest, and doing prescribed burns late in the season. Uh, we need some help from our, our state friends to make sure that we do prescribed burns, that we have some ex exemptions for air quality. But I can tell you the air quality up there in these catastrophic burns is far worse than doing prescribed burns. But I think the consensus is, and I, and I don't want to speak to the governor, but I'm sure the state of California wants healthy forests. Uh, they enjoy living in California because it's a great place to live. Uh, during the summer months, you want to be out hiking and kayaking and fishing rather than evacuating your homes. Uh, so, again, the solution is working together all the way from the local community. And lastly, uh, Brock Long was with me yesterday, the director of FEMA, and from his words is, Sometimes the federal government in Washington uh, doesn't really know what the community needs. So the priority should be coming from Malibu uh, about what you guys need. Uh, and so the, the, our federal government commitment is to listen to local communities. So as we make decisions on where resources should be made, we should be listening to you uh, and not the other way around. You know, that, that's, that's a solution set that you have to work with the governors and the lo local communities. From my perspective, uh, I prefer an active management uh, plan. We know, there's, there know th there's some things that we can do. We can remove the dead and dying trees. The beetle kill has been significant. The, the density of trees, uh, those are, are management things. And we have, you use best science 
use best practices in order to create predictability and better stewardship. And we have great people if we empower them to do that. We have great scientists. We have great forestry guys. Uh, but our philosophy is to empower our superintendents and our front line and empower our, our firefighting officials. And they'll tell you is that we need to make sure that some of these older roads that have been atrophied over time that, that haven't allowed access to the forest, we need to make sure they, they do have access. So if you get a lightning strike, they can get to it. Look at fire breaks. And sometimes you, we need to look at an ecosystem rather than just an isolated federal lands or state lands because we're all connected. So you'll, you'll look at an ecosystem where you need fire breaks, where development shouldn't take place, where development should be rethought. And that's working with our state and local officials to coming up with a plan so this doesn't happen every year. We're a good country. I'd say we're a great country. Uh, but our greatness is working together and not working in opposition of each other. Are you putting a plan together for, we don't have a, a, a Montecito, a mudslide, the rains are coming. We have a lot of land more so than that Yeah, I think, I think the, the threat is real, particularly in this fire, about landslides, uh, hazardous material. So we are working with local county and state officials to make sure we have a plan and, and mitigate it. As the governor said, it's going to be expensive, but I can tell you this fire is expensive. So the investment on preventative measures, on investing in more management, better management based on science is a lot better investment than having this occur to our communities uh, three or four times a year across the state. Okay, let's go get it. Two more questions. I don't have a specific update other than uh, it did uh, not a serious injury. Uh, individual was, uh, you know, impacted by a, a vehicle while uh, in camp, uh, obviously transported to the hospital. Uh, we are obviously taking full care of that individual. Uh, firefighter was from out of state, so we're working with our partners to, to uh, ensure all of that. Um, we are very fortunate with all of these incidents that the injury rates uh, have been low, uh, but these have been difficult fires to fight, and um, uh, we are ensuring for everyone's safety, number first and foremost, and certainly with that individual as um, uh, he makes the recovery. Okay, one more question. Well, I've been looking at these fires for many years now, and it, this is another instance of uh, real devastation. And uh, compared to the north, it's a little different, but for the people who lost their homes, uh, the fear, and the ones who actually lost loved ones, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to find words uh, to express uh, what I feel and what we're all feeling. So I'm glad we're all here, and it is bringing a uh, spirit of cooperation that's greater than I've seen. So that's a real positive. All right. Thank you very much. We've been listening to an update there from uh, from Governor Brown, from Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke about uh, the Woolsey fire and about what's been going on statewide in terms of the fight against these two massive fires, the Woolsey fire and the Camp fire. And Ryan Zinke said a couple of things. Number one, that this is not a time for finger pointing, that they've got to come up with a plan to deal with what the governor has been referring to as this new abnormal, this new time when 
these fires burn hotter, burn faster, uh, burn deeper into the uh, into the soils, etc., and cause massive changes to the to the terrain. He's obviously wanting to thin out the forests, thin out the trees. Yeah, and he's he said that as much. He wants to lower the density in our forests, remove some of these trees. And then when asked about the president's comments from last weekend about this being an issue of forest management, the governor said, you ever seen the coincidence of opposites? Yeah, Look it up. It's a Latin term, and it, I th- it essentially means uh, opposites who need each other, who rely on each other. Well, like uh, the president needs me and I need him and we're opposite thinkers, but we're going to have to figure this out. I was thumbing through Heraclitus uh, overnight, mm-hmm. uh, the the pre-Socratic Greek philosopher Her- Heraclitus. Heraclitus? How do you say it? Heraclitus. Right. <laughs> you just added a syllable. Well, yeah. And obviously, syllable. I mean, a lot of times he was one of the people who had come on to the <laughs> philosophy of contemplating the notion of opposites. Mm-hmm. But 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 what Heraclitus did, he did not accept the Milesian monism that replaced the underlying material arc with a, a single divine law of the universe. He called that logos. The universe of Heraclitus, though, is in constant change and remaining the same. Well, anyway, uh, Governor Brown <laughs> basically said— sounds exactly said, like something that Governor Brown would think. Absolutely. He uh, basically said he and the president are opposite thinkers. And then uh, uh, Ryan Hinky comes back. Zinke yeah. comes back and—Hinky, is that a kicker? <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, Zinke <laughs> comes back and he says, uh, we need to not be opposites on this. We need to be— uh, in in thinking in the same vein here, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of what the federal government gets to say because the federal government does manage a large portion of the the forest area in California, um, and, and what they would need from the state to go forward with that plan. I don't know how that's going to work. Well, it's it's beyond just saying that one agency is the one in control of this, because as Ryan Zinke was explaining, all of these I mean, the fire is not going to stay on one boundary. The fire is not going to not going to respect the boundaries of a national forest or a state uh, property or anything like that. It's going to go from literally neighborhood to neighborhood in some cases where property owners, the ones themselves are going to be are going to have to sign off on whatever management policy there might be. I mean. Use use the Tahoe Basin as an example. How many different thousands, if not tens of thousands of property owners are there that own private property outside of the national forest and outside of the state-owned lands there? They're all going to have to sign off on some sort of a forest management policy where we do get to lower the density and remove some of these trees and agree on Heraclitus's uh, a power of opposites or the coincidence of opposites. I don't think that's a possibility. I don't think that's a thing. So anyway, that that was the update. There was no specific update on the conditions of the Woolsey fire. So the numbers are still 98,362, containment at 57%, and hundreds of structures destroyed. But they're still saying that the damage assessment is only at about 25% of the total area of the fire. So they have 370 confirmed structures destroyed in the Woolsey fire, but they're saying that they expect well over 500 to have been destroyed once they complete the entire damage assessment. It looks like they may run into the California Environmental Quality Act uh, that 
would probably elevate the value of natural systems. And it takes into account the long-term welfare of those symptoms. Now, the, the environmental laws go out the window when it comes to an emergency. So how big of an emergency will they make this? I don't know. But they're going to come into some some serious backlash. There was one side note that I thought was very funny. And the, the question was regarding um, potentially uh, tainted lands. They were using the Santa Susana Rocketdyne facility as an example of potentially contaminated lands being uh, hit by these fires and then contaminated smoke rising as a result of it. I I thought it was funny because Governor Brown said, uh, yeah, you know, and I don't know, there's a new guy coming in after me, and if he doesn't do it, well, then I'll call him and make sure that he does. I don't think Gavin Newsom wants Jerry Brown calling him, bugging him about the policies that neither one of them really want to pay attention to. It, it looks like in, in the past, uh, when it came to thinning forests in California and other places, uh, no plan would satisfy everyone. Um, every entity has its own mandate, and much of it depends on who will pay for it. And no one wants to do that. So obviously different agencies have different land management rules, and it could get very gamey in that fight. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Especially in California and especially with this administration and its uh, environmental feelings or lack thereof. Next hour, we'll revisit the wildfires. We'll do again at uh, at 1 o'clock as well. And if anything comes out new about this or about there was mention also of a firefighter who was injured. We understand he was hit by a car. Yeah, uh, he was he was airlifted. And they referred to his injury as not a big deal in that press conference. Yeah, that's not a— I feel like if you're air, if you're hit by a car and then airlifted to a hospital— it's pretty serious. That's a big deal. And apparently he was from Washington State. Kids so zap. We'll, uh, we'll try to figure out it, it, what sort of condition he is in. Can All we right. briefly talk about this? Which one? The homeless conspiracy. So awesome. We told you about this story when it happened. This New Jersey couple that had started a GoFundMe page for a homeless guy. The story went like this. The young... Girl, Kate, and her boyfriend, Mark. Uh, Kate was driving home, and she runs out of gas on an exit ramp, and this is in Philadelphia. And she encounters this homeless guy, and he has $20. That's all he has to his name is $20, and he hands it over to her so she can go get gas. And then she goes home safely, and her and her boyfriend start this GoFundMe page for this, the homeless guy. This was her comment from the within days of setting up the account. Oh. Uh, we set it up in the car on the way home. She's so heartfelt in her desire to help this man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then a few months later, they people start to realize, hey, where'd that money go? And the vet, Johnny Bobbitt is his name, says, uh, I, you know, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. But then they start spending all this money that was supposed to go to me. He is a self-described gambling addict. I think it's pretty hypocritical for you to tell me I can't manage my money because I might spend it on drugs. Yeah, because they went to Vegas and there's all these pictures of them on social media, uh, highfalutin with all this homeless guy's newfound cash. 
The problem with this conspiracy, well, first of all, they've all been arrested today because it turns out they were all in on it. Love it. This couple may have hatched the plan. Let's go find a homeless guy. We'll start. A, we'll give them this feel-good story. We'll start a GoFundMe page, and then we'll get rich. The problem is, is they cut the homeless guy out of the conspiracy circle. And every good conspirator knows that you can't change the rules of the game. If they were going to give this guy X amount of dollars, they had to give him X amount of dollars. There were 14,000 people wow. who, do, who donated to the GoFundMe page set up for this guy. My go-to feeling with GoFundMe pages, unless I know the people, is fraud. Well, and here's the thing. When we do stories, imagine some whatever story happens to be uh, a family's out on its luck, uh, a house fire, whatever it is. And we say, hey, you know, you can go check out the family's GoFundMe page. By the time we say it, two or three other fake pages have been put up. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to go to the one that you can figure out. You you're cl- you know it's set up by the family member or by a friend. or or. And, but there are still people out there who are making. Oh, yeah. They're going to be making thousands of dollars every month they're just no, by setting up fake GoFundMe pages. They're norovirus people is what they are. Well, you said we weren't going to talk about norovirus. You got That's- mad at me. That's the last time I'm going to bring it up. Hey, but the rest right. of the show is filled with wonderful people. Including? Justin Worsham. He's coming up when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue after this. I'm a little bit steady, but still a little bit rolling stone. I'm a little bit heaven, but still a little bit flesh and bone. Little foul, little don't know where I am. Gary and Shannon. I'm a little bit holy water, We've been... Covering the fires extensively, the Woolsey Fire at 98,000 acres, 57% containment. The fire up in Paradise, the Camp Fire at 140,000 acres, 40% containment, but 56 confirmed fatalities now. And the list of names of missing is now back up to about 300. We listened to Governor Brown and Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke a few minutes ago in their news conference, and they actually had to cut it short because... Of another story that's going on today. Governor Brown is going to be at the uh, memorial service for Sergeant Ron Helis, the man who was uh, first in, first law enforcement officer into the uh, borderline bar and grill after that shooting from last Wednesday night. And uh, he is being laid to rest today. So the governor is going to be there. So that's a story that we'll keep an eye on as well. Thursday at 11 o'clock means we hook up with our friend Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast, to talk all things dads. Parenting, dadding, if you will. <laughs> Hashtag I can't even. I can't tell you. I know I bring it up every time, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But uh, it's funny that this the song always starts. You could find me at the bar. Is that uh, after being on this show, the amount of conversations I have with other parents at pickup about other people who will take a little day nip of uh, some uh, some adult juice. Uh, just to get through the day is uh, is very funny to me. I'm, I'm very amused I'm by it. Keep trying to schedule something because you've invited my wife and I to be on the podcast. Yeah, uh, and my I said something the other night to my wife and said, "When I see Justin, I'll bring it up." And she said, "Just schedule it so it's uh, whatever appropriate time to start drinking." Yeah. <laughs> well, said, for me, evidently, 11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it the parenting that drives you to drink? Uh, here's the thing. It just makes it taste better. It's Well, here's what it is, honestly, is that I think it's because when you are a stay-at-home parent, right, 
It's the same as driving in your car. Even though there are windows all around you, you your monkey brain goes, I could totally pick my nose and nobody's staring at me, right? I mean, maybe not you guys because you're celebrities, but a regular walkabout pedestrian like me, I could, I could go mining for gold all day long in my, uh, in my Camry if I wanted to. And so when you're in the bubble, is my point, when you're in that bubble of your house, you're, the toddler's not going to judge you. He doesn't know what the difference is between a bourbon and a, a rye. Like, he can't tell that, right? So yeah. You take a little, you take a little hit because there's nobody to judge you, and these are all secrets that I think parents uh, keep to themselves. And then uh, you, some idiot like me comes and shares it on the radio, and it just it opens the floodgates, and people Thanks feel a comfortable. Lot, Justin. That's what I'm. I, all I, 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 this is serious. All I want to do is make everybody feel better about the parenting they're doing, because every expert that I have talked to on the show, and I'm not exaggerating, every expert that I have talked to on my show, they all say the same thing, unprovoked. They all say if you are worried about being a good parent, you are not the people we are worried about. Yeah. Because the, the very, by the very nature of you being a bad parent, chances are you're, it's off the radar. You're not, even, you're not even thinking about it. Well, your kids might not know the difference between bourbon and iced tea, but the kids in Italy will yes. ask for some of that wine if I that's what you're stuff. pouring. I loved this article you found out about unique parenting styles from all around the world and how people differ. My mom is a part of this culture, although she's Portuguese. She grew up on the Azores on the island of Santa Maria. And after kindergarten, she would leave kindergarten and she would go to the local grocery store to the deli counter and get a little slice of cheese and a glass of wine after kindergarten. Totally fine. Nobody Talked about it. I wonder where I get the day drinking idea from. <laughs> think about that. That's interesting. We've had a breakthrough today. It's and cultural, guys. It's cultural. Don't judge me. In She's this my magical step-mom. place. <laughs> right? Why are not more people vacationing with their kids in the Azores? <laughs> it's a nine-mile-wide island. How different is that from Hawaii? Come on, get on board. Uh, I love this one in Chile. Strangers offer candy to random children as a sign of affection. That's awesome. Wow. That, yeah. That, it's just missing the white uh, panel van. That's oh, all it's missing. It. Yeah. And there, it's no big deal, right? I, isn't that so weird that there it's actually a part of their culture to do that? And I wonder if that's somehow it came over here because, like, like I, I, from the 80s, we always like, don't take candy from strangers. Like, right. that's the phrase that everybody kind of jokes and is serious about. But in Chile, it's no big deal. Like, people literally... Like carry, it'd, be ru- it'd be rude not to take right. candy yeah. from strangers. You carry candy around and go, oh, you're such a cute kid. Here's some candy for you. And you're like, great. It's like Halloween every day in Chile. Mm. <laughs> Am I talking too fast? I'm sorry. <laughs> I could slow- I'm very excited about this article. Clearly. What else? What else? What uh, other crazy stuff? Are this one I love. Finnish kids. And I, there's, they're seeing a lot of research here. Uh, and this is coming stateside. Finnish kids do not have homework. Not only do they not have homework... But the school, the actual time that they are studying in class is less than four hours a day, and they take multiple breaks during their four-hour day. And yet, it's like they us. have... Sounds like radio. Right, exactly. <laughs> they have the highest-ranked students academically, and they, uh, they always win in happy. Everybody is happy in Scandinavian sure. countries, right? They get it. They've got, like, universal health care, and it's crazy over there. And then everyone goes, well, why aren't we like Scandinavia? And it's like, well, there's four people who live there. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So the high temperature in July is like a six. Right. So, I mean, that's also part of the reason. Maybe that's why they're happy, is that you're saying that the bar is very low, so to achieve happiness is easier? No, it was beautiful there. Is that where you had your Estonian pancakes? They had pancakes and everything. I forget what time of year I was in Scandinavia, but it was 70, 72 degrees, bright sun. 
The listener can't see Gary's face, but he's giving us. Hey, a you have kids. I go places. <laughs> we have our things. Her travels are her children. <laughs> I love, I love too that a vacation destination for Shannon Fairness, they have pancakes, yes. and everything. Well, forget and- about the historical architecture, the interesting <laughs> culture and art of the of the land. Do they have an IHOP? Because I'm in. I actually have a picture uh, of a fountain in Helsinki that was designed. I get it. You travel. That was Jeez. designed. It's a it's a naked woman, and she's kind of got like her arms up. And her backside is pointed to the office of finance because they didn't want to pay for the the sculpture and the fountain, and so they had her bo- bottom facing the, the people who said no to paying for it. That's, that's awesome. a little piece of Helsinki fun fact. See, and that's also why they're more happy. They get a little joke in their art. Like everybody's, they get a giggle out of everything. In Japan, a four-year-old, at six years old, you are basically on your own. You don't need supervision, which I think is probably closer to teenage years here in America, although modern parents, I think, are still cutting meat for 15-year-olds. Yes. But uh, four-year-old Wait, J- Blake, Japanese... does your mom still cut your, uh, your meat? Sunday only. Huh? No, she does not. She's not. Okay. Cool. No, not. How long ago did she stop? <laughs> uh, I'm 26. So that was probably a, a good solid 20 years ago. Oh, oh all right, good. You were an early cutter. Is yeah. your mother Japanese by chance then? So, because nope. four, year, four years old, they ride a train on their own. And this is what I love. A four-year-old Japanese child will be told by their parents to get on a train and go to the grocery store, pick up groceries, and come back. Well, when I was there in Tokyo, uh, the trains are, are very clean, and they're so safe. It's the well, safest city. And let me ask you this. And so we saw kids all the time traveling on their own. I bet you did. And their butts were pointed to the finance office, too. <laughs> but let me ask you this. I think well, is, isn't part of that uh, that, that, that culturally – it's completely okay for you to care for a child that you see on the train. Yeah. I don't mean like feed and clothe them, but right, like, right. hey, do you need help? Hey, right. are you okay? Hey, where are you going? Hey, do you need help with that? As as opposed to like a grown man on a subway in New York sees a four-year-old child by himself, is not going to automatically make sure that that kid is okay for fear of being yes. accused of something untoward. Right. He'll tap on the uh, elderly lady next to him and say, yeah. hey, can you check on that yeah, kid? Sure I think kids, kids, kids okay. in Japan are probably just more self-sufficient than kids here. Right, by there nature. That. Yeah. And a lot of the research actually shows, we've talked about this before, because in Germany they do the same thing. And the, literally the idea is, well, there will be people by, walking by the park that can help them if they fall or get hurt or right. something along those lines. But the research actually shows that here in America, the, the violent crimes and kidnappings and all that stuff really don't support the level of fear that we have for the kids, statistically. Justin Warsham, host of The Dad Podcast, has joined us. We're going to continue more of these uh, parenting styles that we see from around the world and all of the places that Shannon has been. Yeah, I can't wait to see what she did more in Vietnam. More fun That's facts. Coming up. I have not been to Vietnam. Uh, we have $1,000 we're giving away. Here's how you can win $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. <laughs> text the nationwide keyword CASH to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's CASH to 200-200. If you win, they'll contact you by phone, but you got to answer that phone call to make sure that you win the $1,000. And if you don't win this hour, you can win next hour sometime between 12.05 and 12.20. In fact, you can win once an hour from 5 in the morning with Jonesy Wake Up Call all the way through the first hour of Conway's show at 6.20 p.m. Gary not and a Shannon. recording. Not a that. recording. Wow. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Time running out in Florida for that recount. 
Actually, two recounts, one for the Senate, one for the gubernatorial race. A federal judge this hour denying a request to extend the approaching deadline. We'll get you all up to date in Swamp Watch coming up at 1230. There was another fire that started, uh, this one up in the Santa Paula area. They're calling it the Briggs Fire. As of about 7.30, they said it was about 100 acres. They do have fire retardant, they say, that has boxed in the burn area, so it's not expected to grow. In fact, the uh, air tankers have been called off, so it doesn't look like that's going to be a giant issue. Thankfully, they were able to jump on it pretty quickly. We're talking to Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast, about different parenting styles around the world, the way that parents do things in other places. Uh, next time we do this, I want to find a list of the places that Shannon has traveled. Everywhere. She's been everywhere. In the last 16 months, at least. And She's try been to everywhere, figure out man. She's everywhere. Uh, like Carmen San Diego. In Vietnam, this I love, which I, I don't, I want to see what you guys think about it because it seems very mechanical. Uh, but in Vietnam, they, they will potty train a child by about nine months. And the way that they do it is that when the baby is young, you could kind of tell. We, like uh, they make kind of a face, or they sit real still if they're going in the diaper kind or of a they thing. They go in the corner yeah, like exactly. a Blair Witch Project. Yeah, when they're mobile, <laughs> yeah, they do a little snot bubble. Um, so uh, you could tell that they're going in their diaper. So what the moms do is when they see that, they whistle and they make a noise so that as the kid gets older, <laughs> they create a Pavlovian response. So they set the kid on the little uh, Lightning McQueen uh, potty. They and- whistle, and the kid magically does his business. Yeah. Wow. Like a salivating German shepherd. That is genius. But yeah, so my, that's my question to you guys. Do you, do Blake, you... when you have a baby, we're going to try this test. We're going to train the baby. We're going to train okay. that baby at nine yeah. months. And then you're going to bring the baby in, and we're going to be like this. Hey! Ha, ha, ha! Make him poop his pants. <laughs> Okay. The noise is going to be a frightening. Thing. Yeah. Is that that's, okay? Well, see, that's that would be my. Concern. I really want to see if this works. You can if if that happens. If you guys train said baby yeah. to do said instant pottying, mm-hmm. when we do it in studio, you get to clean said diaper. Okay. Okay. I haven't done a diaper in. If no, we no, can train I pointed a kid. At Shannon. Oh, okay, good. Pot, yeah, if we can potty train yeah, that baby a, in nine months, I'll clean a diaper. You don't even have to clean a diaper. Oh. You could get a Tupperware thing, like you know what I mean. We could you, get like oh little, god, uh, yeah. You stri- just strip the you baby provide naked the Tupperware. And, then, and then make it go? Yes. Tupperware. It's not a toy. Let me first tell you this, Blake. I know I'm getting off topic, but your threshold of what Tupperware can handle after you have children, it's ginormous. Yeah. Yeah, if you think you're going to burn a piece of Rubbermaid just because it got a little uh, urine in it or something like that, nope. Don't eat leftovers in my house is what I accidentally said on the radio. Uh, you know what else? In, uh, <laughs> in Denmark, they leave strollers outside with babies in them. You could Google image search this. You'll see it like like bicycles is what my wife compared it to, where you just see a roll of a row of strollers. Some babies are napping. Some babies are just chilling. Doesn't really matter how cold it is. This came up in New York City, mm-hmm. I think. We've done a story about this within the last few years. Where they were years. visiting from de- uh Yes. Yeah. And they left the baby. And people couldn't figure out why that was a big deal. Yeah. Or they couldn't figure out why it was a big deal. Meanwhile, and you're in New York and you're walking by and you're like, what the? Is that a baby? Yeah. Or is that, that can't be real. Like that would never, no one would ever leave a baby in a stroller on the sidewalk outside the restaurant. And that's a thing. Scandinavian countries, I think, have awesome parenting practices all around. Another one is, is that they are very big on outdoors, so much so that they, uh, babies will nap outside in sub-zero temperatures. They like to have, they think it's healthy for them to be exposed to the elements. 
That sounds like something my grandfather would have said. Right. Is, and that's here's the thing. I don't want to be sexist because I know everybody, I'm going to make a big generalization. But whenever I read stuff, that's the first thing I think about is that I want to meet a, a Scandinavian mom because I just want <laughs> well, to see when I was in what Stockholm. is the thing that they won't let. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I stepped on it. Not Before well. I went to the ABBA Museum, uh-huh. okay. I, I did see I several, several moms and babies outside. <laughs> in the snow? Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm trying to remember if I saw any strollers outside in Copenhagen, but I can't remember. The mm. off mic, you, you, it gives you the visualization of her head and her chin. Yeah. Just, mm. Like a th- really like Rodan, thinking. like just thinking, man. Just, <laughs> just hmm. wonder. I wonder what. I, I, so I've been there so many times to Copenhagen. How can Justin, I? Justin, you're so much fun. Possibly <laughs> figure that out. Thank you out. for joining us every I'm Thursday. I'm not done. Oh. I'm still... oh, we'll have to come back and do this. <laughs> He's like, uh, I'm not leaving. <laughs> when we when we revisit, we'll have to come back and do some more of these because I think these are fantastic. All right, cool. I'll uh, look for more. All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Wait, we're not going to be here next Thursday Wait, doing this? Uh, no. Hey, guys. We should probably talk about this off the air when you don't have to do news, but um, my mother-in-law is coming for Thanksgiving, and I really need this 30 minutes. So if everybody <laughs> listening uh, could just... Uh, you just want to pop on down? And- yeah. No, here's the thing. I, you guys don't have to be here. I don't want to mess up your Thanksgiving. Uh, I'll probably just find a, a park and obviously have some day drinking on Thanksgiving. I kind of feel like you're being absolutely serious because when we said we weren't going to be here, the look of fear in your eyes was yeah. real. You were so I just need that. everybody on board at around 11 o'clock on Thanksgiving. I just need you to tweet like, oh, well said, Justin, just in case my mother-in-law has found Twitter. I'll Got be here, it. Justin. You can hang on me. Oh, great. Blake and I are going to have uh, some cranberry sauce. And, uh, well, he's on the board. He can't drink. I'll drink. I'll drink for you. <laughs> Pour one for him. And then just bring me a bowl him. of stuffing, not in Tupperware, and we're good to go. All right, great. Not in Thank Tupperware. you, Justin, guys. host of the Dad Podcast. Thank you, guys. Find uh, it wherever you find all your podcasts. When we come back, uh, a story of survival, perhaps, but uh, we'll see exactly what's going to happen. In Paradise, the high school is still standing. But the question is, what do those kids do? The LA Times did a great article about what it's like to lose everything when you're that age. Imagine your hometown wiped out. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Interesting. So there's been all of these questions about where the hell is Jose Weizar. The last time we told you about Jose Weizar, it was because FBI agents had stormed into his office at L.A. City Hall, as well as a field office and his home last Wednesday. He has been MIA since. Reporters have been camped out outside his office waiting for any sort of Citing, he hasn't gone to anything. He didn't go to yesterday's city council meeting. He didn't go to any of his committee assignments. Now, Council President Herb Wesson has sent an official letter to the city clerk's office stripping Weezar of his committee assignments. So Uh-oh. we'll stay on top of that and see what what uh, becomes of it. Another big story today is that uh, that couple that started the GoFundMe page for the homeless guy who gave the woman some gas money so she could get home safely. A GoFundMe page ballooned to more than four hundred grand. 
The news today is that the three were all in on this feel-good story. Let's concoct a feel-good story to bilk the public out of their feel-good cash. Mm. All arrested for this conspiracy. They're all in on it. Love it. We uh, earlier listened to Governor Brown and Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke talk about the fires in California, both the Woolsey Fire and the Camp Fire, and this other one I mentioned just a few minutes ago, the Briggs Fire that started out near Santa Paula right along the 126. That one's, for the most part, been put out, so we're not really worried about it. But as we go through and sort of examine the aftermath of what's going on in Northern California, the Paradise Fire, I talked with my sister yesterday who lives in Chico. And she said uh, she has she hasn't broken down yet. Now, she was never evacuated, but she knows plenty of people who are affected, plenty of people who have lost their homes and potentially people who have uh, died in the fire. And she said to me last night, she she hasn't broken down yet, but she feels like she could at any time because anywhere you go in the city of Chico, anywhere you go is a sign that. Tens of thousands of people have been displaced by this fire and lost, many of them lost everything. That when you drive down Highway 99 south of Chico, everything to the east of that highway is black because of this fire. Paradise High School still stands physically, but up to 90% of the students lost their homes to the fire. These kids have scattered across the county, across the state. They haven't seen each other. Are they going to graduate How is this going to work? Uh, Their football team, their Paradise football team, was having a killer season. They were set to play their first playoff game. There was a lot of news coverage around this because the 49ers invited them to the game, bust them in for that Monday night football game against the Giants. And so they were on the sideline that night. But these were kids who just had to forfeit their first playoff game because there's nowhere for them to live. There's nowhere for them to play. It's uh, it's. It's just a community that has scattered. These kids already had it kind of rough. Uh, 67% of the students at Paradise High qualified for free lunches. They they have to figure this out. They've got to find out what to do. There were state lawmakers who were saying that they would want laws that protect homeless students to protect newly homeless students like this. For example, one of the things that would be required of a, of a student in a regular basis is, you know, a birth certificate, uh, proof of residence, that sort of thing, before you sign up and can join a high school. All of the other high schools in that area, whether it's Pleasant Valley or Chico or Orland or uh, Gridley, whatever it is, they would, I, I would assume that the administrators would gladly accept students so that they could finish out their high school careers, but then you have to figure out how do you get transcripts? How do you make sure that the classes aren't repetitious? How do you it's make sure It's a logistical sure that- mess. And for these kids that were a tight Paradise High School, them being scattered in the wind sucks. You know, uh, Taylor was a 15-year-old sophomore that the LA Times talked to. Said she's been crying a lot this week. Uh, it's very hard to swallow, she said. It's just devastating. Our hometown is gone. All those memories, everything. Her friend Zoe saying, honestly, I don't even have the words to explain. I don't think it's hit most of us that our whole childhood and homes are gone. The hardest thing for most of us is our friends. They have to move away. They're homeless. There was a I don't know who was allowed into this, and I'm hoping not a lot of people because I don't think it would be appropriate. But on Tuesday night at Pleasant Valley High School in Chico, 
they invited all of the Paradise High School teachers, administrators, coaches, staff, et cetera, to have a reunion for those who could make it, just a reunion, and basically just a reconnection. Hey, how you doing? Where are you hanging out? Who are you living with? Who did you know that was lost? That sort of thing. I mean, this being able to share the experience of that tragedy is probably just as important. It is, it is an incredibly important step in terms of moving on from it. There was a senior, Jared, who who said, you know, the, the school year had started off to such a good start. The football team was doing great. Uh, so was the tennis team, the swim team, the cross-country uh, country runners. There had been some insane SAT scores lately. He said this year was going fantastic. It was super fun. And then in a couple of hours, everything changed. Just imagine when you're that age. Yeah. To have everything just gone and you don't have your friends. Your friends are scattered, too. I mean, that's well, got to be really rough. And the, the one the one uh, thing that can, can be a help, perhaps, is that everybody went through the same thing. Everybody's had, you know, everybody's had this same experience. I had a buddy in uh, junior high school whose house burned down, and he lost everything. But it was just his house. And I remember that was the beginning of the end of a lot of friendships for him because he couldn't he couldn't communicate to us how he felt about it. like he couldn't yeah. explain the loss that he felt because right. for us it was just like oh you you get to live with your cousin for 2 years or whatever i mean it was it was different than you know if the entire neighborhood was wiped out he could at least share that experience and they would know that feeling of loss that sense of loss and i don't think a lot of people would you know outside of that these people who are coming down the hill from paradise to chico living with friends or family they're not going to be able to explain that feeling of loss is that the guy that lives in your house to this day? What? Me? Yeah. No, I oh. did not lose my house in June. No, I my house was flooded. It didn't burn down. Different. Oh, the great very flood different. of yes. 1982. Right. When Dennis came through with the cake. Yeah. Love that story. It was blue. It was a blue cake. Oh, coming up next, Blake uh, got some oh hate mail. Oh, my gosh. I forgot Blake about got this. some hate mail, and we're going to address it when we return. Gary and Channel will continue. Not about Thousand point. Island, right? Uh no, it wasn't about Thousand Island. Oh, different topic. Yes. Oh, you got plenty of hate mail So many about ways that. to hate me. I was told we were really rough on you for the condiment talk yesterday. Really? I didn't think we were. When we're rough on Blake, that's how we show our love. And Blake I, knows I this. I coped just fine with it. I'm yeah. okay. Thank you. They Good. love you a we, lot. We love your strength. I got it. We'll Heather, do our uh, trending stories at the top of the hour. Heather wrote to us, I always wonder why the Blake hate. No, it's not We hate. don't hate Blake. Blake knows we love him. In fact, what did I tell you this morning, Blake? I believe the words were, I love you. Yes, that is exactly true. Wow. I, I meant Whoa. it. Well, Jay wrote in yesterday, Gary, Gary, Gary. <laughs> Thank you for the for the giggle. Uh, who selects the music for the show? It's just all over the place. Uh, by the way, the answer to the question is Blake. Blake does that. I know that the musical selection is probably not important or priority and that it shouldn't be some cohesive collection, but it's still just terrible. Ugh. Yes, I'm a fan of both of you. I love Shannon since John and Ken and her own show on Sundays. Please, when did you get that show? Own show on Sunday. Uh, that was the show with the, you know, I inherited it. From? Uh the guy that did the nine news nuggets? Please have somebody else select the music, is what he writes. No way. My response to Jay was, 
uh, fine. You do it then. <laughs> like, I have zero problem with the music that Me Blake either. selects 95% of the time. Yeah, I, even so, I, I ask him like a lot of times if I don't know the song, hey, who is this? I like this. So Jay, who clearly lost his virginity in 1983, wrote wow. in and said, wow. Gary, thank you so much for letting me submit my own song list for the show. Hopefully it's not too late for today's show. He wrote it, by the way, at one in the morning. So it may be Friday's show. Why Thanks. are you judging? You two are the best. Wait, now oh, hold on. I'm going to get to the music. I have eight songs that okay. Jay selected yes. should be used as. I uh, I don't like your tone with your judging of Jay. And his, well, his, we haven't heard the list yet, Shannon. Yeah. Let's uh, hear the I list. I don't give a damn. Number one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 1983's New Order, Age of Consent. Jake, uh, Jake, who's Jake, Jake? Yeah, you might want to. Is that Jay and Blake? That. <laughs> Blake, put that in the uh, hopper there. No, for no. Music. I like that. Number song. two, it's this trendy. must be the place by Talking Heads, which uh, I think actually, I, I think Blake has played this before. Yeah, this is always a great. I team. have played Talking Heads songs. Yeah, I'm. I'm. All right, I'm I'll give that one a five. Stuff. Good with this so far. All right, uh, how about this one from the very well-known Interpol? Obstacle one. These are great selections, Hoffman. I don't know what you're talking about. I say we bring them in. Or sprinkle them in between Genesis. Throwing it all away from 1986. Oh, man. No, not this one. Oh, I love nah. this one. It's good, but it doesn't hype you. It, it's good, but it doesn't hype you up for the show. It doesn't hype you, you know, up for it, anything. Listen, no. guys, it's not all hype around here. Oh my Sometimes gosh. we need something a little bit more measured. Number five on Jay's list, Billy Idol, Eyes Without a Face, also from... 1983. What does this make you want to do? I can't say it on the radio. Wow. Just kidding. I love this song. Yeah. Uh, the guy who wore eyeliner before Derek Carr, the Oakland Raiders. These are Billy classic Idol. selections. Yeah, all from the year I was born. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm going to play this one. You guys tell me who it is. Is this the. Squeeze, uh... Black Coffee in Bed. Nice You knowledge. know that song? <laughs> Editor Nikki said it in my ear. Oh, uh, <laughs> I cheated. That was from their fifth album called Sweets from Strangers. Actually, is this guy single? Because I do think that maybe uh, he shares musical taste with Nikki Campbell. Yeah, she, keep, the, she she's very impressed by well, this. Well, I will yeah. give she her the it. guy's email address. Number seven. I love you two. Oh, I love you two. I love this song. <laughs> this Nikki's is favorite not the song. U2 yeah. song. Uh, I think this is true love right now. I right think this now. is a. I think we're making a, a match. A gas Made in heaven. Match. Do you guys remember the video for that one? Yes. Where where Bono looks more like a woman than at any other point in his life. That was 1983. Uh, I guess that's a thing. And this then is, finally, it was a good year. His his eighth on his list from just four years ago. <laughs> Thomas Rhett. Make me wanna. Oh, Blake would love this, right? This was the only one Blake knew. Uh, well, Nikki says this is the deal breaker song, so <laughs> she's out. Oh man, it was such a good uh, love. Uh, well, it was a good while it lasted. Jay, yeah. that, uh, Jay, you got to know that your list made me love Blake that much more. Uh, and I disagree completely. I, uh, I have mixed emotions. I like. I, like, I mean, I like Blake, Blake's music as well. Right. Well, then, yeah. Jay, why don't you bombard Shannon with your musical <clears throat> selections now? I'll just forward them to Blake. Great. 
trending. Some of, the, some of them were good mm. when we come back. Not all of them. Mm. Right after that. Play the thing. Cannot the hustle. a chance for you to win a thousand dollars coming up hey we have a uh, strange science coming up the bottom of next hour about 1 30 and there's a uh, uh, a science to this firestorm issue that we've seen in these last couple of years and a veteran firefighter has an explanation as to why these wildfires are growing worse and we've seen uh, heard some of the conditions before Described by Ryan Zinke, by Governor Brown, etc. But this firefighter, somebody who's actually been out there uh, and has seen these things firsthand, will give us an explanation as to why it is that our fi- our wildfires are getting worse. Counties in Florida have hit the deadline for submitting their recount results in this year's contentious race for Senate, as well as the governor's seat. They have said that they would not make the deadline. A judge refused to extend the deadline. So we'll see what happens when we dive into Swamp Watch coming up in about a half an hour. Hey, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, this is the time of day when we go through the stories that are trending the highest on social media, those that are most shared, most liked, etc. And the campfire still trending in California is one of the biggest stories, clearly, because of the fire in Butte County. It's uh, 140,000 acres. Containment is at 40%. We know the list of confirmed fatalities is up to 56. But the list of people missing has now more than doubled to 301. The list will break your heart. There are a lot of family members, two people in a family, three people, four people, five people, entire families essentially wiped out in this thing unless they can be found miraculously safe. Uh, A lot of the peoples we've been reporting have been found in their cars, near their cars. They were trying to get out. The the only thing we can hope for is that a lot of those names on there are simply people who have not been able to contact loved ones, who have not been able to mark themselves safe, however they do that. And the best uh, example of a high number of missing people that resulted in a low number of fatalities was just last year's fire in the wine country. They at one point had 380 names of missing people, but only had 22 fatalities eventually. The Trump administration has sanctioned 17 Saudi officials for their involvement in the killing of that Washington Post columnist, Jamal Khashoggi. This is uh, made up of that 15-man hit squad that traveled to Turkey to carry out what what we're assuming to be just a a sheer execution. This is the same list of people that the Saudis themselves have blamed and arrested for the killing. This was that incident which the Saudi government uh, could not get its story straight on. First it denied it, then it called it an accident. Now it's settled on it being a rogue operation. So they now say that he was, in fact, dismembered inside the... uh... When at first they said, I don't know who that guy is. Yes. That's great. Uh, before dismembered, before handing over the body parts to disposal by an unidentified local collaborator. <laughs> okay. Now, the group of 17 includes the deputy intelligence chief, a guy named Ahmed al-Asiri, blamed by the Saudis for being the guy who authorized the whole thing. Well, a guy got in trouble in Aruba uh, when he... Allegedly choked and pushed a woman off the top deck of the boat. She died. He was hauled off the boat by investigators Tuesday morning in Aruba. 
Apparently, the two were on the royal princess, and yes, they were a couple. Don't if you've got a relationship yeah. that's on the rocks or that can be volatile. Going if, into a confined space like a cruise ship is not a good idea. A confined space with ample opportunity for murder. Right. For drunken murder. And the thing is, you well, unless that's the plan all along, perhaps ah, you know, aha. Uh-huh. Throw that body off at the right time, and it's going to be a day or two before anybody notices that uh, that you're gone. In this case, they were way up on the top, one of the top decks. I think it was like the 16th the Leo deck, deck. 16th floor, whatever yeah. it was. Uh, he chokes her, pushes her off the balcony. She hits a lifeboat on the way down, and witnesses said it severed her leg. Her leg came off. That's not a good way to go. Um, she dead. He's arrested. He'll go to jail forever. Mugshot of the day. Coming to us from one guess. That's right. Florida. The Monica land, land. Of Monica's people. Oh, man. Look at this winner. <laughs> I mean, when does the state get a break? <laughs> <laughs> this guy is 30 years old. Is- that's the new... That's the new uh, uh, tagline from the yeah. Chamber of Commerce for the state of Florida. It's not Florida's fault. It's just <laughs> the things that happen to Florida. Give me a break. It's the humidity and the meth. Uh, well, yes. Lawrence <laughs> Sullivan, 30 year old guy, he has a face tattoo. Uh, several. Can I say a, a face tattoo? His entire face is covered with a tattoo. Well, it, he's trying to look like Heath Ledger's Joker character. In the Dark Knight Also Rises. That's apparently. quite a that's quite a decision to make at one Gross. point. Well, he has like, a tattoo also of the sword across his head. Like Monica said, it's the, the, the bat signal up on above his left eye, humidity. an upside down cross between his eyes, a right side up cross below his left eye. Um, his mother. So he classy. He has a mother. His mother says he's a good kid. He has a lot of tattoos, but he's a nice kid with some problems. He's mentally disabled <laughs> and is handicapped. She said. Well, maybe we shouldn't make him the mugshot of the week then. Oh, I, mean, I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, Disney... Maybe we should make this monkey the mugshot of the week. Oh, I'm that still one? posting him as mugshot of the day. It's still happening. Killer herpes. Mm. A growing wild monkey population in, one guess, no. Florida oh. has experts very worried. These, prime, these primates are carriers of the deadly herpes B virus that can cause severe brain damage and even death in humans. And these monkeys are mating. They are exploding in population. And we are all going to die of the killer herpes from the Florida monkeys by 2022. I don't think that... Well, they say that the the population could double by 2022. Do you have to have sex with a monkey to get herpes? Absolutely not. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Infection can spread from monkey to human by the transmission of bodily fluids, Uh which is possible through bites and scratches or other contact with bodily fluids. Amazing. There have been 50 documented incidents of people who have contacted this after being bitten or scratched by the monkey, half of them died. The others suffered permanent brain damage. They're fighting back. This is it. This is the beginning. Isn't that the movie? This, they're fighting back. And it starts in Central Florida. Not the San Francisco Bay Area like the movies say. 
Well, why would they want to go to San Francisco? Hey, we got a thousand dollars to win. People Here's are how you can do it. Crapping in the streets. Your shot at one thousand dollars now. Text the nationwide keyword "luck" to two hundred two hundred. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's luck to two hundred two hundred. If you win, they'll call you by the phone. Got to make sure you answer that if you're going to win the thousand bucks. Otherwise, you got another chance next hour to win sometime between one hundred five and one twenty. In fact, once an hour, we're giving away $1,000, all the way from Jonesy and Wake Up Call in the 5 o'clock hour through the first hour of the Conway Show at 6 o'clock. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. In fact, we're going to update another story that we haven't uh, been able to touch on just because our fires have been so rampant these last few days. The funeral for Sergeant Ron Helis is taking part today. We're going to be talking about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon, keeping an eye on the fires, of course. The Wolsey Fire up to 98,362 acres, 57% containment now. Uh, thankfully, the winds have uh, died down significantly. By the way, um, also keeping an eye on the uh, memorial service today for Sergeant Ron Helis. The first law enforcement officer into the borderline bar and grill after the uh, shooting took place, or I guess during the shooting last Wednesday night that left 12 people dead, including Sergeant Helis. And the memorial service is underway right now. Billy Ray Cyrus is playing the guitar at that uh, service for him. Oh, wow. I, um, I, f- I feel a particular sense of sadness for the people who were involved with the borderline bar and grill shooting because there was no time for uh, post-mortem on that. Pardon the term, but we went straight from covering on Thursday, last Thursday, all show, talking about the, the shooting, the immediate aftermath, those people who had been lost, uh, Cody Kaufman's father coming out and finding out that his son had died. In fact, he had been looking for him for hours and similar stories to that. I feel like then the fire started 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. All of that stuff kind of fell by the wayside. And for people who immediately were impacted by that, there was never a time for them to sort of absorb the community's help. It's been talked about before when – you tell the story of Ron Helis, uh, that he was on his phone with his wife, Karen. He heard a report of a shooting in progress nearby um, from dispatch. And Karen says he, he said he had to back someone up. He said he loved me. And I'm glad that I said I loved him. That was the last time I talked to him. He gets off the phone. He rushes to Borderline Bar and Grill. And he's hit multiple rounds by multiple rounds fired by that shooter. But after he got off that call, Karen, the wife, said she activated a recently installed police scanner app to find out what was so urgent because he got off the phone in such a hurry. And she starts listening in on 
the the major law enforcement response to that shooting. She heard his call sign. She said, I never listened to the scanner, except that I had just gotten the app on my phone, and I don't know what made me turn it on, but I did hear what was happening. And in some ways, it gives me a lot of comfort to know I don't have a lot of questions. So, yeah, as hard as it was to hear, I know the answers to what I know, what I need to know right now. I can't imagine what that's... Oh, my god! To have heard what was going on. No. Again, this is uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. His wife says that a few weeks before the shooting, they were watching a show on TV about 9-11. And Ron said to her, that guy running into the building, that's what I would do. His son saying, that is exactly what he did. We've said this before. You and I have both had to cover law enforcement uh, funerals like this in our as reporters. I've I've never been impacted by stories the way those impact me. I mean, in terms of the outpouring of support from the community, and I don't just mean yeah. the neighborhood. I mean the law enforcement community from around the country, from around the world. And here's in some the thing instances. about law enforcement funerals when they're killed in the line of duty, especially it's always young kids. There's always young kids involved. Seems like it, yeah. Which adds another level. All right. Uh, we'll come back. We have some Swamp Watch stuff we're going to get into. In the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to revisit uh, our fire updates, make sure that we get that, and uh, our tech talk. We haven't had an opportunity to talk with Mark Saltzman for a while, so we'll check in with him next hour as well. Gary and Shannon will continue. Uh, top of the hour, we're going to update what's going on in our California firefight. Not only the Woolsey fire here, but the Camp fire up in Northern California. 56 now confirmed fatalities, and it looks as if the uh, number of missing has gone up to over 300. In terms of the number of homes destroyed in that fire up in the Paradise area, 8,650 is the number they have. Alex Stone's going to join us at the top of the hour. We're going to talk more about that. But it's uh, 12.30, so that means it's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Well, Florida counties have reached the deadline for submitting the results of their election recounts. Problem is, they weren't done counting. A federal judge today rejecting a request to give counties more time. So now what? Mark Remillard joins us with all the latest. Yeah, Mark, what now? 
Well, uh, we know that at least one county didn't make the deadline, and that's Palm Beach County, which was plagued by uh, technical issues. They had problems with their tabulation machines over the last couple of days, including them overheating and having to refeed about 174,000 votes that they had already recounted. So uh, it's been a, uh, a tough process there in Palm Beach, and we know that they did not make the deadline. Uh, we're waiting to make sure that uh, all the other 66 counties of Florida did as well, but Palm Beach we know of. But basically, what happens now is those results go to the Secretary of State. Palm Beach, because they did not uh, make the deadline, will submit its results from Saturday. So the original count will stand in Palm Beach, uh, at least to this point, uh, unless some maybe some other legal uh, effort is undone and they get some more time. We understand that in the 4 o'clock hour Eastern time, there may be a hearing uh, to give Palm, ba Palm Beach County an extension. Uh, but barring that, uh, the results will go to the Secretary of State, and it does appear that certainly the, the U.S. Senate race between uh, Bill Nelson and Rick Scott is close enough to go to a hand recount, uh, and that will involve them basically looking at all the ballots that are either overvoted or undervoted. So these are ballots that couldn't essentially be fed through the machines. They will count those. They will not go through and recount all of the other 8 million ballots that they've been working on the last couple days. It sounds like there are going to be a number of lawsuits uh, filed in connection with this. Yeah, yeah there, there already have been. I think there's been 11 total lawsuits uh, between candidates, uh, you know, the, the various political committees and things like that uh, already. And so uh, at this point, uh, it looks like the saga continues, especially uh, for the Senate race, where the manual recount seems certain since both Rick Scott and Bill Nelson are separated by uh, about a tenth of a percent at this point. So an incredibly close margin. I think it's about 12,500 votes. Uh, now, once we get the new tabulation, that number could change uh, and it could grow. It could shrink. And we'll learn a little more, obviously, as that comes in. And then from there, the Secretary of State, if it's under a quarter of a percent, that manual recount will be ordered. Uh, they will have uh, a few days to complete that. But all the results are supposed to be certified, I believe, by the 20th. So uh, they are still facing a, a relatively tight deadline here. Are we just talking about simple technological breakdown in these voting machines, or is there a human error here as well? Well, according to uh, – well, so if you take it county by county, it sounds like every other county didn't really have any problems, that they were able to feed their ballots through the machines to get the tabulation, to get the numbers, and they sent them in. Many counties had completed their, their count uh, more than a day ago. Uh, you know, some of them are smaller, though, so they only have a, uh, a few thousand votes versus uh, counties like Palm Beach, Broward, Miami-Dade have hundreds of thousands. Uh, in Palm Beach, though, uh, at least the election supervisor – there. She says that their machines are old and that they began overheating, uh, that they had technicians called in to come and work on them to fix that. We understand that that occurred Tuesday, uh, and they were down for a few hours. And then we understand as well, so yesterday, Wednesday, there was also a second time in which the machines overheated, and they had to go back and refeed some ballots that they had already uh, put through the machines. And so uh, whether that's, you know, whoever's fault that is, I think that's uh, anyone's guess at this point as to whether or not that's the machines, if that's the the maintenance of them, if they need to be updated, you know, obviously all that can be sorted out. But right now, uh, you know, the fact that Palm Beach did not make the deadline, uh, that could be important because you have a lot of votes that, that should have been recounted that now the original results from Saturday will stand. Clear up this uh, potential rumor. On a congressional level, they're thinking about not having Florida ever vote again because they can't do it correctly. <laughs> Is that right, or is it? I have not heard that one myself. Mm, all right. Well, I'll, I'll keep looking into that. Mark, thank you.
Hey, no problem. Thanks. A little bit of uh, breaking news coming out of Washington right now. The president getting a lot of heat for where the hell is he? Why isn't he in California? We had uh, these uh, horrific shooting and, and, and wildfires. Well, now the president says it. He does plan to travel to California this Saturday to visit victims of the devastating wildfires. I'm assuming he's going to be up in Chico. I'm assuming. Maybe. But would he do both? He could uh, both. Yeah, but, he could both. but, uh, but Chico would be more welcoming. Uh, that's true. You know that's what I mean? probably very true. The optics. All right, we'll talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Oh, you check, he's a TV Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, knee deep in Swamp Watch here. President Trump visited with Marines, spoke at the White House at the Veterans Conference today on the heels of all the fallout over his decision not to visit an American cemetery during his weekend trip to Paris to commemorate the end of World War One. They spent about 40 minutes at the uh, D.C. Marine Barracks compound where about 150 Marines had gathered at an event space there. Later spoke at a conference with state and local veterans leaders. President, speaking of, you mentioned this right before the break, uh, will be coming to California. It looks like Saturday, the White House, uh, a spokeswoman, Lindsay Walters, said the president will be reviewing wildfire damage, meeting with individuals impacted by the wildfires, but that the details specifically of where he will be here in California will come out a little bit later. Uh, You can remember last weekend he got a lot of heat for the uh, tweet where he described the fires as being caused by the gross mismanagement of forests, and then a couple of days, uh, the the following uh, tweets, I guess, about the fires have been mostly complimentary of our men and women who are fighting the fires, but also uh, paying tribute to the people who have had to have been displaced by them as well. Prayers for the victims and that sort of thing. Uh, This is a Swamp Watch story only because of this guy's eventual goals. Michael Avenatti said that, um, uh, well, he was arrested last night, or Tuesday, it looks like, for, uh, for some sort of domestic violence incident, whatever it was. And... He describes that Jacob Wool is the one behind it. Jacob Wool is this uh, far-right conspiracy theory guy. He is a supporter of the president. He was implicated in that convoluted scheme to try to accuse Robert Mueller of sexual misconduct, if you remember that whole story. Uh, That has been referred to the FBI for investigation. And now Michael Avenatti says he was arrested Wednesday, sorry, yesterday. Uh, he was arrested Wednesday and now says that it's probably surefire intelligence that struck again. Surefire being the uh, company that Jacob Wool was working for. Now, this is a weird story because he was taken into the, cust- into the custody of the LAPD in connection with an alleged act of felony domestic violence. And in his statement, Michael Avenatti said something like, I... Uh, honor the men and women of the LAPD for doing their job and blah, 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 but then refused and said that all of the details that we know about the story are all incorrect, that it's not his ex-wife, that uh, it was another woman completely, and that there was never any sort of physical contact between the two of them at all. Yeah, and his ex-wives have come out on Twitter to talk about what a great guy he is as well. Okay. By the way... You were asking who who wants this guy to speak? Yeah. He was scheduled to speak in Vermont 
the Democratic Party in the state of Vermont had this guy on the schedule to speak tomorrow night and Saturday night and have had to say, actually, you know, we're going to refund everybody's money. You know, they might just be booking him because he goes after the president so wholeheartedly and filterless. I don't know if anyone's really behind his um, his as- his political aspirations. Yeah. Uh, you know what the root word of aspiration is? Oh, good one. I like right. it. I like it. Thank you. Uh, Ryan Zinke has been on our television screens lately because he's turned up at these uh, press conferences about the fires. He's the interior secretary. And he's kind of come off to me like he's put out. Like he's like, ah, all right, yeah, I've been these fires and they're terrible. And the reason is because of this. Like he, he's put out to be there. Uh, The thing to know about him is he's been investigated recently on multiple fronts. The Interior Department's acting inspector general has referred to the Justice Department an investigation into whether he acted improperly in connection with a land deal in his home state of Montana with the head of oil services conglomerate Halliburton. Uh, He, as the Interior Secretary, oversees oil and gas drilling operations on federal lands. The president last week said that he is going to look into any of these complaints. There's also some investigations over Ryan Zinke's wife about her using his staff improperly, using them as like travel agents and uh, uh, event planners, all sorts of things. So he is probably put out by having to deal with all of this. (laughs) Well, and the Sacramento Bee is the one asking... The Sacramento Beast sits down and asks him, uh, let's talk about the fires and, uh, you know, how are we going to. And then they drop these things, these questions in there, which it's fully within their right to do. But I would totally understand if he was like, "Ugh, again, I got to answer these questions. I'm here to talk about fires. Yeah. In an interview with the B, he said the allegations get more outrageous. He says, I follow all rules, regulations, procedures, and most importantly, the law. I talked to the president. He understands these are vicious attacks. I don't know if anyone uh, zeroes in on the interior secretary to uh, attack there are uh, questions now about whether or not president trump had the ability to appoint matthew whitaker as the acting attorney general once jeff sessions was fired <coughs> resigned and the justice department yesterday came out with like a 20 page opinion piece that said that the assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel, a guy named Stephen Engel, told the White House. Now, this was before Whitaker was appointed, but that they told the White House the president could designate a senior Department of Justice official like a guy like Matthew Whitaker as the acting attorney general. And that the advice was offered after the White House was asking what the president's options would be in the event that the AG office was vacant and who might be eligible to serve. Now, one of the uh, people are concerned that Matthew Whitaker is going to is going to scuttle the Robert Mueller investigation because he's been critical of it in the past. But the president has said that's not a that he's not concerned about that. Members of the Senate, Mitch McConnell specifically, have said he's not concerned that the president's going to do that. That's why he doesn't want legislation to protect the Mueller investigation. And the common thing to have happened happened would have been that a deputy attorney general currently, or I should say while Jeff Sessions was the attorney general. One of the deputy attorneys general would step in as the acting attorney general until one can be appointed. So this was a legal question that came out. The state of Maryland was urging a federal judge to rule that Whitaker's appointment would violate the Constitution. They have not yet ruled on that because Maryland has a 
separate federal law. The state of Maryland says that there's a separate federal law that governs what happens when the office of attorney general is vacant and says that a deputy attorney general should take over. So it's still while that's been done for the last week or so. Doesn't that, that's another story that seems like it was two months ago, was that the Attorney General Jeff Sessions oh stepped down. Oh, my gosh, down. it sure does. Uh, all right, coming up next, we will get an update on the fires here, Northern and Southern California. On Gary and Shannon. Shannon. Why are you looking at me like that? I didn't realize it was drum day at uh, the old Gary and Shannon show. <laughs> PG&E's stock price continues to just get pummeled on Wall Street. Uh, concerns about losses relating to the fire up north there. On course for a six-day losing streak. Down 29.5% in afternoon trading. So also the investigation... Into the campfire, the one burning up in the Paradise area, the DA's office in Butte County says they have uh, wrapped up the preliminary investigation in the area where they believe the fire started. And they're moving on to other areas as well as they continue to build their case, whether it's against PG&E or however they determine this thing started. Alex Stone has been covering the fires, joins us now with the latest. Alex, what do you know? Well, guys, yeah, the numbers look a lot better today. As we're looking at containment numbers coming up, the, the fire zones look a lot better. But the number that's also going up that uh, is not one that we want going up is the, the number of dead. And it's at 59 as of this afternoon statewide. Uh, that's uh, three in Southern California and 56 on the campfire. But every night at 6 o'clock, uh, the sheriff in Butte County comes out, and it's become a thing every night where he comes out and says how many bodies or remains they found that day. And every day it's been going up by anywhere from 7 or 8 up to 14 or 15, and we expect that that's probably going to continue now. 134 people who are missing. There is a missing list on the Butte County Sheriff's website, and uh, the, the sheriff is saying, please, go to that website. If you know anybody and you've been in contact with them, if you know somebody who lives in Butte County and you know they're alive, let the sheriff's department know. There are a lot of people who are out of cell communication because cells are down in a lot of areas, or they may have been on vacation, or they may be elderly and not have a, a lot of communication uh, possibility there, that they want to track these people down. But these are the last 134 or so uh, who they have not been able to find. And, and we're a week into it now. You remember in Santa Rosa last year, a week in, they knew pretty much how many people they had missing, and they had whittled down that list pretty low. This is a long time into it to still have that many people missing. They're concerned that there are a lot more bodies that they have not yet found. What, what do we do in the aftermath going forward? The I understand that Butte County, the state, have decided um, different ways they're going to a- basically attack this huge problem of 25,000 people being um, displaced, living in other areas, living in temporary shelters. Do we know what the plan is to come up with some sort of uh, transitional housing for some of these people at all? 
Well, they're working on it right now, and, and at this point, it's a lot of shelters and a lot of tent cities outside of the, the Chico Walmart. That is a tent city right now in the, the parking lot. One of the shelters, the main shelter, now has norovirus running through it. So things are not great when it comes to, to the living conditions at the moment, uh, but they do want to figure it out. And, and we've heard from the feds who have been uh, visiting Brock Long, the FEMA administrator, uh, Ryan Zinke, the interior secretary, who was also in Southern California today. And he says that they know that everything has to be rebuilt. They have to rebuild the water pipes that, that melted uh, right underground, that made out of plastic. They have to redo all of the power. They're starting from scratch. And we're already hearing the, the talk, almost like we did about New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, of is it even worth rebuilding or do you abandon it now? And people who live there and grew up there, they're saying, no, that's my town and we're going to, to rebuild this. Already, the, the county is talking about doing the same thing that Sonoma and Napa counties did last year, get Getting rid of bureaucratic red tape for rebuilding and trying to come up with deals to get builders to, to build chunks of homes together that, that maybe, you know, you can get a hundred grand off if one builder is building 20 homes instead of one home and, and trying to speed this thing up. But it's going to take a while. And they're just now figuring out the, the housing situation. Do they bring in trailers? Do they contract with hotels? That's a lot of hotels to fill up in an area without a lot of hotels that, that this is, this is going to be a long-term problem. And they're just now trying to figure that out yeah years and years and then uh, adding adding more trouble is the norovirus that's broken out at some of the shelters in chico and uh, oroville there yeah, and, you know, you think about a cruise ship, and when it happens on there, that you got a lot of people real close, and they just pass it from person to person, and that's what they're doing right now in the shelter. They don't have a lot of places to go. There, uh, many people are hanging out in the shelters all day long. Their businesses are gone. In many cases, their cars are gone. They have no transportation. Their family may be gone. And that's another reason why a lot of people aren't leaving, that they're holding on to hope, that they're missing loved one might be somewhere in there and is going to come walking out of the ashes uh, or that they're waiting to find out the fate of their home, even though pretty much everything in paradise is gone. There are other areas that are evacuated. And just like we've seen in Southern California, people at the roadblocks trying to get in to, to go in and understandably want to see their home. The same thing is happening around paradise and people just don't want to leave. They don't want to go down to Sacramento if they do have transportation to do that. Uh, they don't want to go to, to the Bay Area or anywhere else. They want to stick there close to their home and, and try to get some answers. I don't know if we saw this in Santa Rosa and Napa last year as much as we're seeing it today, but I spoke to my sister who lives in Chico, and she said a lot of the people not directly affected by the fire. Uh, yes, they've had you know very smoky days the last week or so, but there are people uh, in Chico who feel the effects of it. Everywhere they go, they see people who are you know uh, evacuees from the fire. There are tent cities on every corner. There are stores that are overwhelmed. And on the positive side, Every school has become a donation center, all of these different areas, but it's, it's the effect is not just the people of paradise. Yeah, this is the, the community coming together, and, and we've, we have seen it before, and, and now Chico and Paradise are doing it, and they have to, because when you have one of these fires, you're kind of cut off. You do have a lot of people without transportation. Uh, restaurants in the early days of the fire are shut down. Gas stations are shut down. They're now reopening, but you're kind of in it on your own and you're waiting for answers and you do want to know and that's what so many people on both fires are doing is they they wait for word on their homes and and on loved ones and 
Yeah, the, the, luckily the communities do rally around those who need it, and you do get a lot of those donation centers and whatnot. But this is, and just from personal experience of well, you know, what friends and family have dealt with in Santa Rosa, this is going to be a very long process for them. This goes on. Santa Rosa is only now in many areas beginning the process of breaking ground on new homes. People have been living in temporary homes for a, a year and a month, a year and two months, and they, they're only now getting through that bureaucratic red tape. They're still fighting with their insurance companies. There are quite a few lawsuits against insurance companies because of they told you that, that your home would cost so much to rebuild, and that's what you insured it for. And then when the fire came through, all of a sudden it's going to cost double that to rebuild because labor costs go up, uh, the, the materials costs go up, everything is more expensive. And now all of a sudden, maybe not in, in Butte County, but in Sonoma County, you're – $700,000 home to rebuild is going to be $2 million, and you don't have that money. The insurance companies, and understandably so, say, well, you insured for this amount of money. Yeah, we told you this is what it was going to cost to rebuild, but this is all we can give you, what you were paying to, to be insured at. And you've got a lot of homeowners, which is going to happen in Butte County as well, say, yeah, but you told me this is what I needed to, to rebuild my home, and it's only a fraction of that cost. A lot of those lawsuits are, are still in their early stages. Mm. Alex, thank you. Great stuff. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Alex Stone there with the latest on uh, what a all of our nightmare. Fires. What a just sheer ongoing nightmare for those hmm. people. There was another small fire that showed up this morning near Santa Paula out on the 126. They pretty much got control of that thing pretty quickly. Uh, about 100 acres, somewhere between 75 and 100 acres was the number, the last number I saw. But uh, no, no ongoing evacuations or anything like that. That one's under control. Coming up next, Tech Talk. We will dig into the best Black Friday deals so far. And flip phones, are they making a comeback? Oh, and hey, how about paying for those uh, those Black Friday deals with $1,000? Here's how you can win it. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's money to 200-200. If you win, they'll call you by phone, but you got to answer that phone if you're going to win that $1,000. And if you don't win this hour, you can win next hour sometime between... 205 and 220 in the John and Ken Show. In fact, once an hour, every hour from 5 in the morning through the first hour of the Conway Show at 620. Now we're giving away $1,000 an hour at KFI. Micro machines. Oh, oh my God. Are micro machines still around? No. Oh, well, but some, the guy is. He's right here. Yeah, some auction house is going to call ah, him. Ah, <laughs> micro machines. No. I'm the reference lady. That's what you are. Shut up. Wow. Ow. Oh, sorry. It is head. Probably um, deserved it. It's okay. I still have a whole bucket of micro machines. Uh, do you really, Blake? Well, yeah, my nephew plays with them, but yeah. Monica, do the news, please. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Gary and Shannon. It's Thursday. Science can be so cruel. Oh, we were talking about oh, aging, aging and, and feeling yeah. aged. Yeah. And feeling not aged. Right. At the same time that you are aged. Yeah. Uh, speaking Rough. of science, we'll actually get into science at the bottom of the hour. Specifically, one veteran firefighter explaining why our, our wildfires are getting worse. But hey, we love technology and we've missed talking to our friend Mark Saltzman. 
The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet. Oh, Mark. All right, Mark. Uh, I was wondering when this was going to happen. I could feel it happen. Foldable phones. Foldable phones Foldable. making a comeback. That's right. Yeah, remember the flip, uh, the razor and all that? Yeah, well, it's back. Uh, well, it is expected to be back in 2019, I should say, uh, but with a bit of a twist. What we're talking about now are big screen phones like you're used to now with your iPhone and your Samsung and your Huawei and all that, but it actually unfolds into a tablet. And this is what is expected to be one of the hot trends for 2019 and something we should see at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in January. So there's one now uh, from a company called Royal, and they've got one. So, again, it looks like, you know, like an iPhone, if you will, but Android-based. But then it unfolds to become a larger tablet. So you want to stream some content, then that's how you would do it. And Samsung is uh, has announced that they've got one, too. It's uh, the Samsung Galaxy X is the code name, uh, but we should be seeing that early next year too so it's supposed to serve as double duty a phone as well as a tablet in one foldable device any chance we're going to see um phones that can roll up like a newspaper in harry potter see it's a great question and i've seen that from uh, lg displays from north uh, south south korea this is uh, an offshoot of lg electronics uh and because they they've they did show this at the Consumer Electronics Show a few years ago. It was like an electronic newspaper. Uh, but it was just a prototype, just to show that they can do it. But that is the idea behind these foldable screens, because they use OLED, OLED technology, and it is bendable. Um, it's right on, you know, they have it on that uh, on the on the panel that can't be bent without in, impacting the screen. Then that's how they're able to do it. But I don't know if we'll see it, like, roll, rolled up into one. I don't really see the point of that. But they did show it a few years ago, another company, as I was saying, LG. Black Friday tech deals. You always have uh-huh. some good ideas. What's going on this year? Yeah. So as your listeners likely know, next Friday, the 23rd of November, is Black Friday, a time to take advantage of some great deals at retail or online, and that bleeds into Cyber Monday as well. So I've scoured the net, and I have found some of the best deals uh, on technology. So one is from the Google Store, the online Google Store. The Pixel 3 XL smartphone is regularly $899, but they are now selling it for $699, leading up to Black Friday. And that also gives you a Google Home hub which is a smart screen and a $50 credit to the Google store so that's a good deal or if you buy a Pixel 3 uh, or Pixel 3 XL smartphone you get this a second one for 50% off which is pretty cool uh, there is also at that same store a Samsung Chromebook 3 laptop for only $99 that's 100 bucks off Speaking of LG, we mentioned them a few minutes ago, the parent company. So their OLED TVs are stunning. They cost a pretty penny, though. But there is a sale at B&H Photo on uh, a what's called a B8 model TV. And instead, it's a 65-inch TV for two grand instead of over 2500 So they've dropped it down by 500 bucks. That's a good deal on Black Friday. Target has a Fitbit Versa smartwatch for 50 bucks off down to 149 so if one of your 2019 new year's resolutions is to shed a few lbs <laughs> may need a little bit of digital motivation and, and just so as a yeah. just as a uh i don't know issue of manners it's not a good idea to get someone else a fitbit right <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah unless your partner has like strongly hinted or come right out and said i want one of these yeah that could backfire that's a really good point that. gary 
as opposed to, hey, I have an idea for your New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good point. Yeah, that uh, that's, goes without saying. Uh, well, that is awesome. And those are just some of the great deals that uh, I'm sure this is going to be a, a good Black Friday. But this is not the only time to get it. I mean, when we go into the holidays, there are there's going to be Cyber Monday stuff as well to keep track of and all these different tech deals, right? Yeah, this whole time is good, even leading up to Black Friday. Um, the day before, PlayStation has this uh, deal for $199. It's a bundle, which includes the PlayStation 4, the Spider-Man game, and a controller. It's uh, usually $299. And that's before Black Friday, but you're right, Cyber Monday leading up to the holidays. Uh, there's really no bad time right now, but the point is not to wait. Retailers do not want you to walk away with, you know, being empty-handed, so they will often honor these prices. And then online, it's even more competitive, as you likely know. So the likes of eBay and Amazon, they're getting, you know, if you can actually get a human, um, they are getting uh, pretty aggressive, and they do not want you to wait because they know that that potentially means you're going to go elsewhere. So great time of year all across the board. All right. Awesome. Uh, have fun celebrating not Thanksgiving next week. Oh, the Canadians, they do a big <laughs> thing. We had it already. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, Canadian so Thanksgiving. Passe. We had it in October. Mark, I don't know why, but we do. Mark Saltzman, <laughs> to try to be first, our tech you. guru, thank you so much. You can follow him at Mark underscore Saltzman on the Twitter. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. All right. When we come back, we're going to get into some crazy science stories, and, including one about our, our uh, fires. And Canadian Thanksgiving. And a whole breakdown on what they celebrate for the Canadian Thanksgiving. Monday, October 14th is their Thanksgiving. On a Monday? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Gary and Shannon will continue. I could lie, could lie, could lie. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Gary and Shannon. The funeral is still going on for Sergeant Ron Helis. Of course, the the sergeant that rushed into the Borderline Bar and Grill on reports of an active shooter in the area. Listen to this. Ron and his wife, Karen, had their first date 31 years ago today. And he proposed to her at Charlie Brown's restaurant, which is now the Borderline Bar and Grill. They're uh, going to move the casket out of the church there in Westlake uh, and take it to the burial place for a ceremony a little bit later. But the uh, there are hundreds of law enforcement officers in Tura County, L.A. County, uh, different police agencies as well, full uniform, that are standing on either side of the doors where he's going to exit, and it's silent. Hundreds of people standing there waiting for this, and it's absolutely silent out there. No one is saying a word. Uh, All right, one of the things that we've been following, of course, are our fires, and that's actually going to kick off our uh, Strange Science story today. Strange Science. It's like weird science, but strange. Well, our fires, this whole thing was like, we know the fires are getting hotter. They're burning longer. And the question is, why? Well, Vice talked to a uh, longtime fire department employee working in Redding, who she's now a dispatcher, but for years spent time as a wildland firefighter with the Forest Service, helicopter repeller, hotshot crew parachuting into areas to a fire engine. 
And she she pointed out three very specific things uh, scientifically as to why it is we're seeing these uh, fires burn in a much more damaging way. Um, number one, of course, she points to urban sprawl. Not very scientific, but but in all honesty, we want to live as close to nature as we can possibly get. A lot of people. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people. Well, and also it's cheaper to move up into the mountains than it is to stay in the city. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And um, then there's the drought. Then there's the drought. We, Even though we had a great year last year in terms of rain, and there is a forecast for El Nino coming up this winter, we're, we're still stuck in this thing. Yeah, so she this said pattern? it takes five years of no drought to fix the several years of drought influence. And that's And by the way, that's not arguing one way or the other for or against climate change, global warming thing. Any, it's just it, period – we are in a drought, so that, and she doesn't assign blame one way or the other for what's going on. She just says that's the way we are, and it, it's happened before in California. It will continue to happen, et cetera. Um, she, in fact, pointed to uh, times in the late 80s where we had drought conditions and horrific fires. But then the final one, which I thought was interesting, was she was talking about the potential for pollution to be affecting plants. And she pointed specifically to the fires up in the Bay Area last year, up in Napa and Sonoma counties. Yeah, she said due to all the pollution, all the emissions, a lot of the different factors there as far as the environment, I think a lot of our trees and brush have taken on these qualities that we haven't seen before. That one I haven't heard of. I mean, I know that there are definitely certain plants that will burn hotter and longer than others, but I hadn't heard that, in fact, the plants themselves may be changing because of the way uh, because of where they're growing, whether they're in neighborhoods or along freeways and that sort of thing, and the potential for burns. So. And also the way we build houses, she says, uh, is a problem. We need to build things that are more fire resistant. You get those stucco houses, a couple embers under the roof line, and those are gone. Yeah, as much as uh, people think stucco is uh, fireproof or fire resistant, it can go down just like all the others. Sure. Uh, when we come back, we'll do some strange science stories, including, speaking of burning, why is it that why is it that rats and mice don't respond to Carolina Reaper peppers? What? Yeah. We're going to talk about that? What is that? What do you mean? It's weird science. <laughs> well, that was like uh, Monica's green bean casserole story. How dare you? <laughs> what what why does it matter if if rodents respond to the Carolina Reaper pepper or not? Because I think we're stumbling onto something. I mean, if we have monkeys with herpes that are going to attack us. Oh my god. These mice and rats may come at us with Carolina Reapers, and they're not affected by it. Meanwhile, you're crying in the corner. Well, a monkey's trying to do very untoward things to you. And coffee or tea, your preference may be written in your DNA. Now, that's a green bean story. This show is so disturbing. Tell me about it. Mm. It should be on this side of the glass. (laughs) Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon. Snow hitting the East Coast pretty hard there. Is that like is that like white rain? I'm not it's, quite sure. Uh, what it's like white rain, uh, colder than mm-hmm. than rain, and has a tendency to uh, to blanket areas, creating ice. Which is, you know, like I've if you have ice. a diet coat. Yeah, I've had ice. Yeah, and, yeah. Everybody knows what ice is. That's silly. Oh, right. 
stupid. Speaking of science, oh, and fires. The uh, a public health researcher at the University of California Davis was doing a study on the uh, the health effects of last year's fires, the ones that were burning in Santa Rosa in the Sonoma Napa counties. Mm-hmm. She was doing a door to door survey on the effects of last year's fires. She had to call off the door to door survey because of the amount of smoke in the Santa Rosa and Napa counties, uh, Santa Rosa and Napa areas, because of the fire burning in Paradise. Talking about the particulates, et cetera, and the health effects of uh, being exposed to it for that long. Just science. Well, a pest control expert <laughs> has gone ahead and tested whether the world's hottest chili could Ooh, hot. rid your home of mice and rats. I'm assuming Sean Woods is from somewhere in the South. Sean Woods is a YouTuber. And he put Carolina Reapers, which are more than 850 times hotter than a jalapeno, Hot pepper. into rodent bait and placed the trap in his backyard. Tell you what. The rodents loved the peppers. Just one of these peppers enough to make a grown man cry. They ate all the peppers. But them mice and rats, they wasn't affected at all. <clears throat> Before I'm going to look him, him up and pests, see if you're accurate. Mr. Woods ate one of the peppers himself, filming the experience and uploading it to YouTube. Woods. And after eating the Carolina Reaper pepper, Sean Woods said, Ooh, My mouth is on fire! My face is numb! From the moment you put one of these in your body, you're hurting all over! Hey, Blake, give me some sound over here. We're going to listen to what Sean Woods sounds like right they now. They know about an interview I recently did with a fellow YouTuber that uh, named no, Eric no, Fabian I don't like from that. New York. He's working on a project where he's doing about a... a slight lisp, but no accent. I don't like that. I like my Sean Woods better. He says it took uh, a few days to recover from the Carolina Reaper. It left me lying on a couch in pain. But the mice and rats, for some reason would go out of their way and clean him out of Carolina peppers, Carolina Reaper peppers. That's they mild, loved him. mildly fascinating. How does he get a three-page write-up in the Daily Mail for a stupid <laughs> science experiment in his backyard with a random pepper? I'll tell you what, I'm going to eat Furthermore, and yes. airtime <laughs> on a station in oh, Los Angeles. Okay, Judgy Liddy. Uh, I'm Judgy. You're the one who gave him the accent. That's a good point. Coffee or tea? Um, I've always been a coffee person. Mm-hmm. However, my wife, my wife lately has uh, had a lot more tea in the house. Mm-hmm. It's calming. It is? Sure. You think so? The only time I really drink tea is at a uh, Chinese restaurant. I don't drink tea because it doesn't do anything. You know, coffee is like a, you know, a hit of meth in the morning. It's a stimulant. Right. Well, you can There's buy, a purpose for you can the buy coffee. tea with caffeine in it. Yeah, but is it as strong? No. As, no. No, it's not. People with a, a version of a gene that increases sensitivity to the bitter flavor of caffeine. I mean, why drink something if it's not going to do something to you? You know what I mean? <laughs> Tend to be coffee drinkers. Coffee, wine, and water. Right, period. That's you know, all. wake me up, uh, hydrate me, and um, put me to sleep. Well, every once in a while, you'll throw a Diet Coke in that mix. Right. Right, right, right. Although that's dangerous time when little we do bit, that. A little bit. Tea drinkers actually tend to be less sensitive to the bitter taste of caffeine. But they've got versions of genes that will increase sensitivity to the bitterness of other chemicals. People have actually been studying all of this. Um, 
in this study, researchers examined the DNA uh, variants of genes involved in detecting the bitter taste of the chemicals, caffeine, quinine, which is the bitter taste in your tonic water, and propylthiolacil, a synthetic chemical that's not actually naturally found in food or drink. Other bitter components usually uh, naturally in coffee and tea may trigger the same taste response as quinine or prop, as they call propylthiolacil. Researchers in Australia, U.S., and England examined uh, DNA from 400,000 people. If we're going to do strange science, you should know how to pronounce the chemicals. Who in the world knows how to pronounce propylthioracil? The only people who know how to pronounce that that actual term are the people who put this study together. I just think we should commit to sounding a little bit smarter if we're going to be doing science-y things. That's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. There's no magic wand for us to sound smarter. That's a guarantee. John, hello. Welcome to the show. I think we should commit to being smarter. Yes. <laughs> I do. You have to commit to that. It doesn't just naturally happen. No. God, no. You got to really lean into that if you're going to do it. Maybe you should start training in the morning. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, when we come back um, after 2 o'clock, the, uh, we're going to play Eric Leonard. He's doing amazing investigative work on Channel 4 now. Yeah. Like he used to do here. And we're going to play his uh, his latest uh, investigation into uh, why the vagrants are allowed to live by the hundreds up in the valley by the Sepulveda Basin. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, Garcetti can't seem to get them to move along, and they have an interesting excuse. And uh, we, we have an, a really entertaining idea. That we're going to discuss is possible it? solution to this issue. Oh, oh no! Yeah, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> yeah, it's an oh no. Oh no! He doesn't want them to move because he no, wants he, to, he wants to have a at least a baseline in terms of the number of votes that he would get when he runs for president. Yeah, I've seen this twinkle in your eye before, and it's never good. It always leads to lawsuits. <laughs> it ends with some elected official crying at some point. We might be uh, we might be called on to fill in two to six next week or All so. Right. John and Ken up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Watch for another episode soon of Gary and Shannon.